0: Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap. your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, May 12th. I'm your host, Mike Maharry. Thanks for tuning in. Have you ever noticed that there is often a huge disconnect between raw economic data and the spin that you get from the mainstream financial media? The mainstream narrative Always cast everything in the most favorable light for the government or for the markets. You know, it's almost like the people on Fox Business or CNBC or Bloomberg and, and all the rest of them are just like shilling for the stock market or shilling for the current administration or the central bankers at the Federal Reserve. There's never any skepticism out there about what's going on with the economy, what's going on with monetary policy. It's almost always positive. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's looking good. These numbers are great. I mean, I'm not wrong, am I? Okay, so, yeah, I know that I'm a contrarian. It's like I'm almost reflexively programmed to reject any mainstream narrative. And I do understand, and I know that I come at things with certain biases. We all do, right? My biases, or my bias, is to automatically distrust official narratives. I mean, at least a little bit. And I understand that this bias can lead me astray. I try to be conscious of that. I try to step back and say, okay, is this mainstream assessment fair or not. I try not to be reflexive. But I do think that this is a healthy bias because people with power have strong motivations to control information in such a way that helps them maintain their power, or even better for them, to expand their power. You know, I think I've used uh, I've said this quote on the show before. I use it often. It's very poignant. It's by George Mason. And he said, those who have power in their hands will not give it up while they can retain it. On the contrary, we know they will always, when they can, rather increase it. I think that's 100% true. It's human nature. So, this reality informs my own bias. If somebody in power... Is telling me something. I'm instantly skeptical because I just assume that they're trying to either control me or screw me over. So, you know, I've I've I'm sure I've said this before. I went to journalism school for folks who uh, don't really know my background. Um, the first time through school, I got an accounting degree, and then I went back to school in 2006 uh, and got a journalism degree. Always loved to write and I did work in the news business for quite a while. Now, I know y'all probably don't have a very high opinion of journalists. I get it, rightly so. But I will tell you that When you learn how to do journalism, if you actually go to journalism school, they constantly talk about certain ideals that include questioning power, digging past official narratives, and and really trying to mine out the truth. Those values are embedded in the uh, profession. That's the foundation of journalism. But, whoo, it sure does get lost in practice nowadays. You know, that's obvious if you just watch the news, right? If you go into a newsroom today, the bias always runs in favor of institutional power. So, this is exactly what I'm talking about in the financial media. It's, it's true in the regular news media. There is this it reflexive trust of official sources and official narratives. And I can tell you exactly why this happens in the realm of local news. Reporters depend on official sources. They need to have good relationships with the communications guy over at the police department or, uh, you know, the uh, spokeswoman over at the mayor's office because those people are the gateway to information. You know how to get a gate slammed in your face? Start criticizing cops or the mayor. Start questioning the official narratives. If you do, they will cut you off, and they'll go talk to the reporter over at the competing station. Uh, When I worked at a TV station in Lexington, Kentucky, I saw this happen. I saw people in decision-making capacity actually get squirmy about questioning something that was going on in the police department because they didn't want the police department to get mad at them because they're depending on information that comes from the police department to do their news shows. So you end up with local news that is basically just built on press releases and quotes from official sources. That's where the information comes from. And I suspect that that's probably what's happening in the financial media as well. Now, I'm not sure exactly what information sources they're protecting. I'm not on the inside there. I mean, it could be as simple as not wanting to sound like a crank. You know, it's easier to go with the flow. Or maybe they need the stock market to be roaring to sell ads. I don't know. I do know that the level of groupthink in the world of media is astounding. You know, I hear a lot that People will say that there's some kind of conspiracy to control information. You know, like there's a cartel out there coordinating the news. And that's why news all sounds the same. Like there's two or three people up there and they're saying, you're going to report on this. I never saw any indication of that at all. It's just that everybody basically views the world the same way. And there is a lot of peer pressure to just kind of go with the flow, right? You see this in any organization. If you take a, a, an organizational management class or a, 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 a you know, like industrial psychology, if you start talking about institutions, you'll find that Corporate cultures are transferred to people who go to work in that organization, uh, whether it's a police department or a business, or, you know, whatever it is. People begin to adopt the values that are internal uh, within that organization. That's why I think there's such a problem with policing. Uh, I don't think it has a whole lot to do with racism or or anything like that. It's an institutional culture in policing that views uh, everybody as the enemy in, in violence first, and it creates certain responses. So, you get this kind of institutional groupthink in the medium. I mean, first off, it, it attracts a certain personality. It, it tends to attract people who want to change the world and, and who kind of have, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of liberal leanings. It does attract those types of people, and then you put them all together. Uh, there's a lot of pressure to not go against what you think everybody else thinks. Never underestimate the power of peer pressure. That power is very prevalent in the world of journalism, and it leads to everybody basically saying the same thing. And again, as I've already mentioned, they're all working off of the same official sources. So it's it's kind of a double whammy. So, you know, kind of thinking how this might apply in the financial media. Um, it's cool to question, you know, monetary policy in in the sense that maybe uh, you could question whether they should have gone to 5% or should they have stopped at 3%. You know, that that is an acceptable uh, uh, questioning of the narrative. But certainly, nobody's going to question the existence of the Fed. That would just be kooky. And nobody wants to be kooky, right? Nobody wants to be weir- viewed as the weirdo. And, of course, the Fed people are highly trained experts. The mainstream is the mainstream because it embraces certain assumptions. Those of us who reject those assumptions are generally shut out of the discussion. If you're familiar with Tom Woods, you know he often talks about the 3x5 index card of allowable opinion. And he's absolutely on to something with this. You have to stay in that safe space between Joe Biden Donald Trump, right? You can say one is bad and the other one is good. That's cool. But you can't say that both of them are sociopaths and we shouldn't let either one of them run our lives. That's off the table, right? Or as I said, you can debate tweaks in monetary policy, or you can debate who should run monetary policy, You know whether it should be Janet Yellen or Jerome Powell. But you can't say that monetary policy itself is bullshit, because that's off the three-by-five card. And respectable people, they don't say such things. I mean, it's just absurd to think that it might not be a good idea for a few politically connected men and women to set interest rates. Why, that's the only way we can and have a stable economy. They'll tell you, without Jerome Powell or Janet Yellen, we would have absolute chaos. Anyway, I, I didn't really intend to go all the way down that road. There's there's your little lesson in the world of media and journalism. Um, but you know, having read all of the mainstream spin about the most recent CPI data, I couldn't help it because if you read the headlines, you would think that inflation is toast. This was a great CPI report. The Fed is winning the inflation fight. Everything is gonna be okay. The Fed is about to pivot. I mean, here's an example of a typical headline that we got after the CPI came in on Thursday. Consumer prices in April rise at the slowest annual rate in two years. That's great, right? Fantastic news. Inflation is cooling. That's the mainstream spin. And you'll notice that it is favorable for the stock market, favorable for the Biden administration, favorable for the Fed. Nobody's looking at this data and and going, "Uh uh-oh, except people like me and Peter Schiff and other contrarians out there. But if you read about two lines into the actual BLS data, you know that this spin is utter BS. Inflation isn't on the run. It's actually quite sticky every indication is that it's going to be around for a long time. So, here are the actual numbers. April CPI rose by 4.9% on an annual basis. That was a tick lower than the 5% annual CPI increase reported in March, and it was also a tick lower than the projection for another 5% annual gain. So, That's what everybody focused on. They took that little piece of information and ran with that. And that does kind of support the inflation is cooling narrative, right? But that's not the only number you'll find in the CPI report. In fact, I would argue that annual CPI is probably the most irrelevant number in the whole report because that number is heavily influenced by previous numbers. If you have high CPI, prints from previous months that are rolling off, you're going to show a declining annual increase, even if price inflation is still relatively hot. So it's important to look at the monthly numbers as well. Well, guess what? CPI was up by 0.4% month on month, representing a significant increase in prices, almost half a percent increase in prices in just one month. That compares to the 0.1% month-on-month increase that we got in March. And if you look at the series, you'll find that that 0.1% was actually the outlier. So this signals that price inflation really isn't cooling at all. In fact, looking at the CPI prints through the first four months of this year, the average is 0.35%. So this month's 0.4% is pretty close. if you, As far as rounding goes, it's right there, right? So, if you annualize this, you're at around 4.2% on the year. This is more than double the Fed's 2% target. So, yeah, this is better than 8%, which is what we were talking about a year ago, but you're still seeing prices rise at a fairly rapid pace month after month after month. The core CPI numbers cast even more doubt on the notion that the Fed is winning the inflation fight. If you strip out the more volatile food and energy prices, core CPI was up 0.4%. Over the last 12 months, core CPI was up 5.5%. So core CPI, which is supposed to be you know a better number because it strips out the volatility, it's actually higher than the overall CPI print. Um, That was just a tick lower than March. So, we do see this this little bit of cooling on the annual basis. I think it was like 0.1%. Now, we're supposed to pay more attention to the core because it is less volatile, but nobody seems to want to talk about that now because definitely not cooling. In fact, core CPI is held pretty much steady in recent months. It rose by 0.4% in January, 0.5% in February, 0.4% in March, and by 0.4% again in April. So that's a pretty consistent upward trend month after month after month, right? Tells me that inflation is kind of stuck now at this level. Oh, Do you remember super core inflation? You know, that was all the rage a couple of months ago. This data point strips out shelter prices along with food and energy. Um, Nobody seems to be talking about this anymore. Maybe that's because it was up 0.4% on the month and up 3.7% on an annual basis. These numbers were both up from uh, what was printed in March. And again, I can't emphasize this enough you will notice that every number that I'm talking about on an annual basis is well above the 2% inflation target. That's what we're going for. So if you look at what we're going for, and you look at where we are, there's much less reason for celebration like the headlines that we saw. Now, don't worry. I didn't forget my disclaimer that I make every time I talk about the CPI you always have to remember that inflation is worse than the government data suggests. This CPI uses a formula that understates the actual rise in prices. Based on a formula that was used in the 70s, CPI is closer to double the official numbers. So, even the official numbers look bad. Reality is even worse than those official numbers. If we look at individual price categories, increases in the price of shelter, gasoline, and used vehicles pushed the overall CPI index higher. We did see a bit of a drop in fuel oil and other energy prices, new vehicles, and uh, food that you buy to take home, although restaurant prices seem to be going up again. So we are getting some relief uh, in certain price categories. And You know, in any normal economy, you do have some prices that are going up and some prices that are going down. That's normal. The issue with inflation is that the increase in the money supply is generally pushing all prices higher. All prices are higher than they otherwise would be. And that's kind of what the CPI is supposed to be capturing. And it's interesting because if you look at some of these categories, there are five or six of them that are actually above the 12-month trend. That means that the prices in those categories are increasing at an even hotter pace. So, None of this is really particularly good. And yet, despite the generally gloomy inflation picture that the actual data paints that I just explained, the mainstream spun this as yet another positive sign that inflation is cooling. This was, a, it was good news. Everybody should be happy about this CPI report, according to the mainstream narrative. And again, there's this huge disconnect. Here, here's the thing. Nobody should be excited about this particular CPI report or any of the ones that we've had over the last several months. It's still more than double the 2% target. And even more worrisome is that we're probably at the trough or close to the trough when it comes to this CPI data. My friend Tony, who writes our data analysis articles over at shiftgold.com slash news, wrote a really good breakdown of this CPI data. I'll link to it in the show notes page. And in this article, he does a good job of explaining how math is factoring into the illusion of inflation, price inflation cooling. Here's what he wrote. First, the year-on-year figure fell because last April the data from last April, came off the calendar. The CPI last April was 0.4%, which means the drop in the annual average is due to a bigger number coming off the board. This will likely play into the May and June CPI, especially as 0.92% and 1.21% fall off the year-over-year calculations. So in other words, those big monthly jumps that we were seeing Around midsummer last year, they're still in that annualized CPI increase. Those big numbers are going to come out of that data set. This will greatly help the CPI year-on-year come down further over the next two months, Tony writes. After June falls off, the data starts to normalize, and there are even some very low months that will be rolling off. So we had uh, 0.4% negative. So we actually had uh, price decreases in the CPI in July, and then we had just an increase of 0.21% in August. So after that the cpi is likely to flatline or begin increasing at a rate that will be starting from a number that is still well north of 3%. so if the windfall from falling energy prices is over, then it is unlikely that the year over year cpi will drop into the fed target's range the fed's target range anytime soon. so there you go. wonder how the mainstream financial press will spin that. Now, the market reaction to the CPI report was interesting. Stocks rallied, generally. In fact, they've been in rally mode since before the Fed meeting. The markets clearly think that the Fed is done hiking. Despite Jerome Powell trying to sound hawkish after last week's Fed meeting, the markets ain't buying it. They think that we're in pause mode and that hiking is probably done. And I think the mainstream actually still thinks that we are going to see rate cuts before the end of the year. And they might be right. Um, You know, it just depends on how long it takes for the next big thing to break in the economy. Um, But as far as the narrative goes, this CPI report kind of added fuel to the fire. Because obviously, with inflation on the run, the Fed can go back to making inflation, right? So, as you know, if you've been following uh, the trends over the last couple of years, gold has generally rallied on positive inflation news or when the spin on the inflation news is positive. But after the April CPI data came out, gold actually dipped a little bit. Uh, We certainly haven't seen any kind of rally since we got that data. In fact, um, as I'm recording this on Friday morning, gold has actually dipped back down close to $2,000 an ounce. So, Maybe that means that investors are realizing that the good inflation news is actually bad. Um, I, I think it really has more to do with the fact that they're starting to recognize that no matter what the financial media says, things would have to improve far more than they have to really justify a Fed pivot. But at the same time, things have gotten pretty dicey out there in the economy, right? We've got this, this dumb debt ceiling fight, uh, which, as I said months ago, uh, we know how that's going to end, but you know, it still gets everybody all Twitterpated. Um, banks are still struggling. Uh, the financial crisis is still unfolding. It's clear that the banking system isn't really sound and resilient. I don't think anybody buys that. And it's just a matter of time before something else breaks. So maybe the, I don't know, it's its hard to judge what the markets are thinking here. But it's pretty clear that they're, they're still vacillating back and forth between this idea that, well, the Fed has to pivot because inflation is beat, uh, or the economy is about to crash and inflation is still high and the Fed can't pivot. I don't know. I don't think that there's a very strong connection between the markets and what's actually happening in the economy. Again, another big disconnect, right? But, you know, remember six or eight weeks back, I talked about the commercial real estate market being the next thing to crack. Well, I'm starting to see other mainstream folks talk about the commercial real estate market. So, I think there's a growing sense that the economy is really shaky. Now, you know, if we if we push it all away, get try to get past these narratives, here's what should be keeping the Fed people up at night. Despite hiking interest rates to above 5% in just a little over a year, and despite the fact that the money supply is contracting, price inflation is still more than double the target, and it's clearly gotten sticky. And the contraction in the money supply is a really bad sign. Do you know when the last time it was that we saw annual money supply growth fall by 10%? The Great Depression. And we haven't seen money supply growth fall by more than 6% year on year in the last 60 years. So we are in a relatively unprecedented contraction in the money supply. There's just no way that this doesn't pop more bubbles and break more things in the economy. We have an economy that is built on easy money. It's been taken away. It's like the Jenga Tower. You keep pulling blocks out of the Jenga, Jenga Tower, it will fall down. So as I said last week, no matter what Powell and the other central bankers at the Fed and the talking heads on the mainstream media are trying to say today, ultimately the Fed is going to have to reverse course to keep banks from failing, to stop the auto industry from imploding, to save real estate Uh, markets to prop up the federal government's borrowing and spending to monetize the debt to bail out over levered corporations and to provide some relief for average americans who are running up massive credit card bills despite record high credit card interest rates because they're trying to make ends meet in this crazy inflationary economy that my friends is where we are and again there's a huge disconnect between where we actually are and where the mainstream media seems to think we are, and where investors in general seem to think we are. Okay, I know I'm running a little bit long, thanks to my soliloquy on journalism, but before I go, I do want to highlight some interesting first quarter gold demand data. Now, while institutional investors still might not be all that interested in the yellow metal, there are a lot of people out there buying physical gold, Investors bought 302 tons of gold bars and coins in the first quarter with a value of about 18.4 billion dollars. This was 14% above the 5-year average. And interestingly, the surge in physical gold investment came even as gold prices reached record levels in many Currencies. Uh, China actually led the way with a huge increase in physical gold demand, uh, but a lot of the demand actually came from North America. U.S. bar and coin demand came in at 32 tons, and that was the fourth-strongest first quarter in the World Gold Council's data series. So, the fourth-strongest first quarter since the World Gold Council's been keeping track of this uh, quarterly demand data. And interestingly, the U.S. Mint reported rocketing gold coin sales totaling 288,000 ounces in March. Uh, So that was kind of kicked off, obviously, by the banking crisis. It was the biggest monthly total in gold coin sales since October 1998. And that was when the Y2K safe haven rush for gold was in full swing. Now again if you listen to CNBC or Fox Business you're probably getting the impression that gold is dead, you know, nobody's interested in that shiny rock. And again, there is a disconnect between the mainstream narrative and what's actually happening out there. And honestly, I still think this is a buying opportunity for both gold and silver. I think the price is still lower than what it should be given The economic circumstances. And I have to think that at some point, this disconnect between the mainstream narratives and reality is going to have to unravel. So, if you're thinking about adding precious metals to your portfolio, or maybe thinking about getting into gold and silver for the first time, or maybe increasing your exposure. The time is now. Talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. Call 1-888-GOLD-160 or email them at info at or go to the Shift Gold website, shiftgold.com. Go to the Getting Started tab, and you can actually chat with a Precious Metal Specialist right there online. And they can help you look at your investment goals what you're trying to do, where you are financially, and help you see how precious metals might fit into your investment strategy. Highly recommend doing that today. So that, my friends, is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of the stories that I've talked about today and more. And, of course, keep up with the latest Precious Metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgoldcom slash news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Ship Gold YouTube channel. Links to all of these things are on the show notes page, along with links to all of our social media platforms. You can email me, Mahari shipgold.com m-m-a-h-a-r-r-e-y shipgold.com love hearing from folks tried to catch up with some of my email this week Um, so shoot me a line if you'd like hope you have a fantastic weekend and I will be back here behind the microphone again next week toodaloo